I think most of us, if we thought about it for very long, could remember a time in our lives when a bit of news changed everything. I remember one time I got to the airport really early, meandered my way to my gate, figured out where I was supposed to be, realized I still had two or so hours before my flight was going to leave, and so wandered off again to go find some food, look at something, who knows what, I don't remember the details, but I remember I wandered then back to my gate and sat down. Somewhere around an hour or so later, I realized that my flight should be boarding any minute. At that point, I looked up at the screen and realized they had changed the gate while I was gone. Suddenly, I had to be on the other side of the airport in just a matter of minutes. A bit of news turned my relaxed travel day into a almost nightmare. Again, another time, I I remember uh, waking up one morning, thinking about what I was going to do that day, going to work, thinking about ministry appointments, thinking about preparing a lesson or a sermon, whatever it might be, only to then be informed by my wife that her water had broken that night, and she was in labor, and we were having a baby that day. Needless to say, I did not go on with the rest of my day as planned. A little closer in the heart and the gut, I remember on 9-11 walking out of class to see dozens of students gathered around the TVs in the lobby of the classroom building that I was in in college. Needless to say, 10 minutes later, I was not sitting in my next class waiting for the professor to begin. There are bits of information, and it's hard to call that last one a bit of information, that suddenly change everything. That upon hearing or learning, suddenly everything is going to be different. Amen? Today we're going to read about just such a moment in the Gospel of Mark. Each one of these Stories I just shared have that in common, that, that upon hearing something, it demands a difference moving forward. One would not only be silly, but downright stupid to go on with their day or on with their life, having heard this, but not done anything with it. Over the last few weeks, we have been moving through the introductory content of the book of Mark We've been introduced to who Jesus is. We've begun to see what he is all about. And today, what we are going to be in is a summary statement of Jesus's proclaiming. A summary statement, not that he never said these exact words, believe that he did. But all the things that he will teach, and in fact, all that he probably will do, will flow out of this Statement. It is a summary. It, it takes everything and brings it down into one very quick and very simple message. We're in Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. And I invite you to turn there. If you have a Bible, if not, hear along. It says this, just a few short verses. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee 
proclaiming the gospel of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. I want to read that last bit again. These are Jesus's words. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Now, as we begin today, church, I want to remind us of the cultural situation that we are in right now. And most of us don't need this reminder. But we live in what has been described by some experts, particularly those in the mental health field, as the most anxious, fearful time in history. For most of us, when we think about the last few years, all we can do is find ourselves in a bit of fear, or maybe a lot of it, anxious, worried about what's going on, worried about the future. If we have kids, if we have grandkids, we're wondering what are we leaving to them? The season of COVID told us to be very afraid of everything, especially one another. And if you weren't afraid of COVID, you were taught to be afraid of institutions. And authorities. We live in a world of fear. And church, most of us are not strangers to this fear. This anxiety, this worry. We experience it even as Christians. And church, I want to tell you, that's one of the reasons Jesus' words here should matter to us today. He says this. The time's fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe In the gospel. Now, church, what we're going to do today, we're going to look at two very specific things. The first is, what is the kingdom? The second thing we're going to look at is, what is our response or what should our response to that news of the kingdom be? We want to begin with the kingdom. And what I want you to just hear really quickly right now, if you don't hear anything else about the kingdom, is you need to know this. It is now. The kingdom is here. Christ is sitting on his throne now. Amen? And that matters. It matters in a fearful, anxious time. Mark's really clear, I think, to tell us this. He says this, the very beginning of verse 14. He says, now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee. Now, you might mark these first words as simply a marker of time, right? Telling us when Jesus began his ministry, but but there's loaded here. After John was arrested, it should not be lost on us that in the very breath Mark speaks or writes here, he tells us that John was arrested and he also tells us that Jesus' message is the king has come. We should not... Ignore this detail, right? It should not be lost on us. John the Baptist, the cousin of Jesus, the one specifically called to prepare the way for Jesus, he's been arrested. Those of us who are familiar with the rest of the story of Scripture, as most of Mark's audience would have, even as they read this the first time, would have known that this arrest was not going to lead to an eventual freedom, but to what? To a beheading at the behest of a prideful woman and her beautiful daughter. Utterly senseless. 
Think about this. The one who's chosen by God, called, led, and equipped, sent, and utterly faithful in his role should be rewarded with a cruel death as a sure sign of the brokenness of this world. Jesus announces, the time is now, it is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is here in the same breath that John is arrested. Because we live in a dark and broken world. And the king comes into that world. Some of us, We sit here and we wonder, where is God when things just seem to be falling apart? And I want to tell you, your answer is right here. John is arrested and Jesus announces the coming reign of God on the earth. See, God always responds to the brokenness of the world, not always in the way we want, not always in the time we want, but he responds and he says, The king is on his throne. We're reminded this even more so as as we read these next words. It, It says to us again, right after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee. Again, we might read this and just imagine it's just Mark uh, placing the, the story, not in time, but in a place. But Galilee is a loaded term in scripture. In Isaiah 9, 1 through 2, we read this. It says, But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun, the land of Nathali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. Now, let me place you in the right time and place in Isaiah chapter 9. This is a prophecy that that is about the long-awaited king who is coming. The nation of Israel had waited and waited and waited for God to show up in power and in, in wonder as king in charge of everything And Galilee was the place where he was meant to show up first. Hear this. Moving on to Isaiah 9-2, it says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. This prophecy in Isaiah is talking about the backwater, the backwoods place, location, region of Galilee. It's not the capital city of Jerusalem. It's not where power happens. It's not where where the important people are. Make no mistake, this is not far off the San Luis Valley where people are just trying to live life and do what they do and make it. We look around ourselves and we see in our own families, our neighbors, the community, we live in a darkness. And this was a darkness that Jesus was no stranger to. And we're told in the book of Isaiah that the light would come into that darkness. And light did, came into Galilee according to Mark. It's the response that God makes when when things are falling apart. When things aren't what they should be, a light comes into the darkness. And that light is the king. That light is the king. Long awaited and finally here. Look at verse 15 with me. And we get to the words of Jesus. 
It says the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. We want to look at that phrase, the time is fulfilled. In Greek, there are two words for the word time. Now, I will just tell you, as I almost always do when I mention a Greek word, you don't need to know this. But if you want to, then remember it. There's two words in Greek for time. The first is the word chronos. The second is kairos. The first, chronos, simply means the passing of time. You look at your watch, you watch the seconds, the minutes, the hours roll by. That is chronos. Kairos is the significant passing of time. So rather than watching the seconds, the minutes, the hours dwindle away, it is time that is marked by events. R.C. Sproul invites us to think about it this way. He says, Kronos is historical, while Kairos is historic. So all things that have happened are historical. But there are not books written about everything that has happened. On the other hand, historical things get books written about them. They get markers in time. Jesus' birth itself marks a transition in time as time counted down and then counted up, right? B.C. and A.D. The coming of the kingdom, according to Jesus, is chronos. It's historic. In fact, it is the most historic of all historic things. The coming of the kingdom. It changes everything. Now, this is followed up by another Greek word, the word, Greek word pleroma. And I love the meaning here because it speaks of the goodness of God all over the place. The, the, the best translation of the word pleroma, what, what the ESV and, and I think what most of the Bibles talk about, the fullness or fulfilled, the time is fulfilled, is this. It's simply the idea of being overflowing. It is super filled. It's, it's that cup that your kid or your grandkid accidentally filled up all the way to the brim. And you're looking at it trying to figure out how am I going to get the liquid out of that without dumping it all over the place. To be super filled is, is to have a simple bump, a simple bit of pressure, a simple movement, and it goes everywhere. This is what Jesus says, that this historic moment of the kingdom coming is super filled. And the slightest touch will overflow it onto everything. In other words, there's no more room. There's no more time. Now is that time. We say the same thing about the grace of God and his blessings. Our cup, what they overfloweth. We take a step back and look at Mark 1. Three, we go back to the quotation we saw just a few weeks ago out of Isaiah 40, 9 through 10. This was the prophecy of the long-awaited king. It says this, Go up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up. Fear not, say to the cities of Judah. Notice that the announcement of the coming king results in fearing not. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Verse 10, behold your God comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. What Israel had been waiting for, what the world had been waiting for was a king. 
a king who rules and reigns. This is what it means when it talks about the kingdom of God coming and being here. And it talks here in our verse, our passage about a herald who announces, now that herald was supposed to be Jerusalem. But Jerusalem failed, fell, fell into temptation and into wickedness. And so what happens is that the king is the herald for himself. Jesus proclaiming, Jesus announcing the kingdom is here. What he's saying is, I am the kingdom. With me is the kingdom. I am here and hear this church. I am in charge. What fear is there if the king is on his throne? Oftentimes we think about a kingdom, we think about a place, we think about a people, but biblically speaking, what the Bible is referring to when it refers to the kingdom of God is not a place or even a people, though those are formed eventually by the reign of God. As God's reign works in this world, a people are formed and look around you, we are the result of the reign of God. All those Christians who have come before us are a result of the reign of God. All those who will come after us are a result of the reign of God. Psalm 103 verse 19 tells us this. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Right? This is a kingdom, a reign over all. His ruling in Psalm 103, is the descriptor of this kingdom. Look at that verse, Isaiah 40.10. We just looked at this. It says this, Behold, the Lord God comes with might, and his arm rules for him. The kingdom of God is the ruling of God in this world. Jesus says the time is fulfilled, that historic moment when everything changes. The king is here. God's rule is here. And yes, it comes right on the heels of sin and despair of John the Baptist. Because God doesn't leave us when things get hard. The rule of God begins in his people. John Piper says it this way. He says, in and through Jesus, God the King is coming in a way, a new way, into the world to establish his saving rule. First, in the hearts of his people and in their relationships by triumphing over sin. Now just pause there really quick. The first place the kingdom of God begins is in the hearts of those as we, and I pray it would be all of us, come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. He goes on to say, then by the exercise of his reign, gathering a people for himself in congregations that live as citizens of a new allegiance of the kingdom, not of this world. So first comes in salvation. Second comes in those people who are saved, becoming citizens of that kingdom through transformation in the image of Christ, living in a new world, not the one we've lived in before. And then he adds this. Then Christ comes a second time and completes the reign by establishing a new heavens and a new earth. Jesus says the kingdom is here. It is now. And that begins in the hearts and the minds of his people and it ends in him sitting on his throne over new heavens, new earth, new creation. 
Friends, you need to hear this now. The good news is happening. We are in it right now. God is reigning. The arrival of this kingdom carries a decision with it. It carries a decision. In fact, it requires a decision. We see this in Jesus' next words. This is the end of verse 15. He's announced the kingdom. And in doing so, he's announced the king himself. And then he says, repent and believe in the gospel. And in this, we see our response or what our response should be. In repenting, that's the first response we make. Hear this. Say, well, what is repenting? Church, what I want you to know about repenting, we're gonna talk more about this just now, but, but hear this. What repenting means is that you are not stuck where you have been. Who you have been, what you have done is not who you are or who you need to be tomorrow. That's what repenting is. That's what it means to have repented. It means you're not stuck. I meet Christians all the time. So I'm stuck in my sin. I keep same cycles over and over and over again. If you've repented, then you've turned from that way to a new way. And if you're stuck in that same cycle, It's time to be done with it. You're not falling. You're not failing. You're not suffering in it. You're not even trying if that's the case. Because we are told about a victory. We'll read about that in just a minute. Church, repenting is this. And hear this. I love what Jesus says. Jesus assumes everybody needs to repent. What he doesn't say here is, hey, the time's fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Some of you need to repent and believe in the gospel. Raise your hand if you don't think you need to repent. Okay? Lamar Williamson Jr., commentator, writes this. Jesus calls his hearers to turn around, to shift to the direction of their lives, to look, listen, and give their, hear this, full attention to the kingdom which is arriving. Church, the nature of the kingdom of God announced by Christ is full attention. Right? He gets the full attention. And any time that we are anything less than the full attention, I mean, just tell you, this is an opportunity to repent. This is an opportunity to come before Jesus and say, Jesus, I've been on the wrong road. This piece of my life, this part of my life, most of my life is going the wrong way. And I need to turn to you. That's what it means to repent, to turn from the path we've been going to a new path. Dane Ortland in his book, Deeper, which, by the way, is a book I'd recommend to anyone here. Dane Ortland, book called Deeper, writing on repentance, he says this, the Christian life is one of repenting our way forward. Some of us, we think about repenting, we think about that one time that we repented when we turned to Christ in the first place. And we've never repented since. We've never felt like we needed to. Dane Ortland says, the Christian life is one of repenting our way forward. Repenting is the way we make progress in the Christian faith. For some of us, we think, man, if we have to repent too often, it must mean we're failing. No, if Christian, you repent all the time, it means you're succeeding. It means you're winning. It means the Holy Spirit's working in your heart and in your mind and in your life. And he's drawing you into be more and more like Christ every day. We repent 
forward. And it's not just something we do once, it's something we do constantly, every day, every time that we have looked into scripture or scripture has looked into us and we realize that there is growth that needs to happen. And here's why. Because we are repenting into a new kingdom. I want you to imagine for a moment that tomorrow morning you wake up as a citizen of China and not the United States. Now, you don't need to think about how that happened. That doesn't matter. What in your life would be different tomorrow? If you were no longer a citizen of the United States, you were a citizen of China living in China. Your language would need to adjust. Your timeline, your culture, the ways that you talk, right? How we worship would change. Everything about our life would change if that happened. And what we're told by Jesus is that we need to repent. Why? Because we are leaving an old kingdom and we're coming into a new one. Let me ask you this. When you came to Christ, did you have that drastic of a change? When you came to Christ, did your life dismantle itself in front of you and you have to become wholly new or was there just sort of little subtleties? See, we're called by Christ to repent out of an old kingdom and into a new one. Old allegiances, new allegiances. Old life, new life. Apostle Paul calls this flesh and death. Jesus calls this life. From one to the other. That's what it means to repent. It means that any part of you that's not on the straight path to Jesus gets brought before him, confessed, and you move, you, you move that bit of your life into line with him. Or that's repenting. Jesus gives us two things we're supposed to do, two responses to the kingdom. The first is repenting. The second is what? Believing in the gospel. We need to believe in the gospel. And what does this mean? First, it means believing in Jesus, his death and his resurrection. You might say, well, hey, Mark hasn't told us about that yet. You're right. Mark hasn't told us about that yet. But the people that Mark was writing to already knew about Jesus. They already knew that he had died for them, that his life had been given up. And so when he uses this word gospel, it's a loaded word. It is an utterly loaded word. And yes, the simplest phrasing that you can come up with, and maybe you can come up with simpler than this. I'd love to hear it. Somebody says, hey, what's the gospel? Here's the simplest, clearest answer. It is the good news that Jesus Christ came to us and died on the cross so that our sins would be forgiven and we can be saved. Now, you might drop a few words out of that. You might add a few words, but that's, that's the nutshell. That's the gospel. But here's what you and I know if we have been Christians for very long. The gospel is so much bigger than that. So much fuller than that. That's where the gospel begins. And when you start there, it goes places. And we come to Christ at that basic understanding, that basic knowledge. But what happens is as that basic knowledge begins to transform our heart and our minds, the fullness of the gospel gets so much bigger. It begins to include everything that comes out of that, out of the death of Christ and out of his saving us. 
The giving of the Holy Spirit to those of us who are in Christ, that's part of the gospel. The establishment of the church, a new people for the kingdom. And every other good news that came. And Jesus says, repent and believe the gospel. The believing the gospel is the part where we go from the life we were living to the life we're supposed to be living in him. Friends, do we not only believe that his work on the cross rescues sinners like us, but do we also believe that the gospel tells us Christ's way, his reign in our lives is also the best way to live? That includes joyful living in obedience to the Lord. That his ways are the ways we want to live, even when we fall short of them. To believe in the gospel is to believe that God's truth about sex and marriage are the best way, even and especially in a culture that belittles and corrupts the institution. To believe the gospel is to believe that God's truth about money, giving, generosity, and sacrifice are the best way, even when it really stretches us. To believe the gospel is to believe that God's truth about really caring for, loving, being patient with one another is God's way, even when people are really, really hard to love. To believe the gospel is to believe that even while we are called to enjoy many pleasures of this life, God's word calls us to do so in moderation and in very clearly defined specific and right ways. Now I could go on here. We could spend all day expounding on what it means to really believe the gospel. It begins with believing that Jesus Christ died for our sins, but it does not end there. We must believe that everything he said to us is right and true, even when we don't want to live it, and even when we can't live it yet. Let me tell you, if you've only ever received the good news that Jesus Christ died for our sins without also receiving the good news of new life in Christ, you're missing out. We are called not only to make Jesus our Savior, but what? Our Lord. What is a Lord? The Lord is a king. And that king is reigning now and has been reigning all this time. He's in charge. The good news is not just that we get saved to heaven. It is that we get saved in this life to live like Christ. We're not stuck anymore. We worship the one who reigns in our hearts. And the reign that begins in our hearts will eventually turn into new heavens and new earth, new creation and eternity in the joy of the Lord. Church, what do we do with this? What do we do with this? Well, first, first thing I think we do with this is we do our best to stop being afraid. We do our best to stop living in fear and worry and anxiety because if we're Christians, then we worship the God who is on the throne. His reign has begun. And we can trust that. 
right? The first thing we do with this, with the fact that the kingdom is here, is we realize that he's in charge. Even when everything in your life is spiraling out of control, even when the people around you are hurting you, or when you're hurting the people around you, God is still God on the throne. He's still in charge, and he loves you, and he cares for you, and he's with you. Okay, that's the first thing I think we do with this. Second thing we do with this, church, Jesus's proclamation here should be ours as well. For some of us, we get really good at sharing the gospel and salvation with people. Maybe some of us are really bad at it. Some of us are really bad at it, so never do it. Some of us are bad at it and do it anyway because we want to be obedient. Which, by the way, even if you're bad at it, you should be telling people about Jesus. That's just a note. But his message should be the same as our message. Our message should be the same as his. And what is his message? The king is here. There is a kingdom. It's new. And it's working and it's active. And the the result of that is the requirement to repent and believe. It is to switch kingdoms. From the losing one, by the way, to the winning one. From the kingdom of sin and failure and brokenness to the kingdom of eternity where we are promised perfection as we worship our Savior. Let us preach, let us proclaim a victory. Christ is on his throne. We need to tell people that. They need to hear that. Let me tell you right now, you know someone You have a neighbor, a friend, or a family member who needs to hear that Jesus is on the throne right now. They need to hear that. They need to know that even though they're in a John the Baptist moment, Jesus is on his throne. You've got somebody in your life. That person that's popping into your head right now as I say that, by the way, that's probably, hopefully, the Holy Spirit poking you and saying, hey, you've got a job this week. Tell them that God, tell them that Jesus is on the throne And here's the third thing we do with this. We need to repent and believe. We need to repent and believe. I don't care if you've been a Christian for 80 years or eight minutes. We need to repent and believe. Let me tell you, if you've never given your life to Jesus, if you've never accepted his free offer of salvation, he already did the work on the cross. He bought it with his death. He offers to you freely. If you've never done that, today is the day to repent and believe. Get off the path of your own selfishness, your own sinfulness, your own brokenness, and get on the highway of Christ. Get on the road that leads to Christ. But if you have been a Christian, look at your life. Is he the king of all of it or only select parts? Is he the king of Sunday morning, but not Sunday at one? Is he a king of Sunday, but not Tuesday? (laughs) Right? Is he the king of your language, but not of your consuming? He should be king over all. We worship the one who's on the throne. Amen?